DW Africa Link. It's time to be served with the news making headlines from Africa and beyond. Hello and welcome to Africa Link with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And I'm George Okachi. We are reaching you from our studios here in Bonn, Germany, and live on our Facebook page, DW Africa. So share your thoughts on the stories we are covering. Coming up on the program, Uganda's President Museveni defends ban on fuel imports from Kenya. It would help us to bring in competition and the prices will even drop. The moment they hear that the government of Uganda is going to take action to import fuel, for them to sell, they will drop the prices. That is the only way we can help the country. And talk about Kenya, a debate on deploying troops to Haiti for peacekeeping mission rages on. This Haiti mission is a misadventure. We are sending our boys and girls to be killed. They'll come back in caskets. And uh, I hope that the various committees of parliament will turn this down. Stay tuned for the details coming up after the world's news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyinge. The Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza says that more than 10,000 people have been killed by Israeli strikes since the conflict erupted a month ago. This number has not been independently verified. Israel's army says its ground troops have surrounded Gaza City and effectively divided the strip into two. The airstrikes have also disrupted communications in the area. DW Special Correspondent Aya Ibrahim, Jerusalem, with the latest. So we have confirmation from the Israeli military that that Israeli troops have reached the Gaza uh, shore, uh, the coast, so to speak, and are holding positions there. Additionally, what we're also being told is that Israeli troops have encircled Gaza City in the northern part of the Strip and that in the coming days we can expect that uh, Israeli troops will come into close contact and combat with uh, Hamas fighters on the ground. This war, we know that there have been internet and connectivity breakdowns, so it's, it's difficult to be in touch with people there uh, to really be able to independently uh, verify what is going on. DW's special correspondent Aya Ibrahim. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has visited Turkey, wrapping up a diplomatic dash across the region to try and find solutions to the Israel-Hamas conflict. He earlier met Turkish Foreign Minister Hakan Afidan in Ankara. Relations between Israel and Turkey are strained, with, with the Turkish government urging Israel to stop its attacks on Gaza and refusing to condemn Hamas. Blinken said the U.S. is pushing for more humanitarian aid to reach Gaza. The deep concern here for the terrible toll that Gaza is taking on Palestinians, on men, women and children in Gaza, innocent civilians, a concern that we share and that we're working on every single day. We've uh, engaged the Israelis on steps that they can take to minimize civilian casualties. We're working, as I said, very aggressively on getting more humanitarian assistance into Gaza. And we have very concrete ways of doing that. And I think you'll see in the days ahead. Guinea has sacked more than 60 soldiers and prison officers over the jailbreak of former military leader Musa Kamara and two others. Heavily armed commandos freed 
Captain Kamara from his cell in the central prison in the capital Conakry early on Saturday. But the former military ruler was recaptured and returned to prison along with the two prisoners freed just a few hours later. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Ukrainian officials say at least five people have been injured in a Russian missile strike on the southern port city of Odessa. The attack damaged one of the city's principals at galleries. The Fine Arts Museum is one of the oldest palaces of Odessa. And a former U.S. President Donald Trump has arrived in court in New York in a civil case that could determine the future of his property empire. As he walked into court, Trump dismissed the case as ridiculous. The former president and two of his sons are accused of fraudulently inflating the value of assets owned by the Trump organization by billions of dollars. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyinge. Jen Nyinge, many thanks for that. And to our listener, many thanks for sticking with us on our program. I am George Okachi. And Eddie Micah Jr. is my name. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We appreciate your comments on the stories we're covering. Just to shout out a few of you, Tutu Desnik, Rashnash, Ronex, Mwamadi. All of you are tuning from different parts of the continent. You're very welcome to the program. And everybody is mentioning Uganda and that's where we're starting from and Uganda is uh, planning to stop buying fuel from Kenya's government. The East African country has decided to import its own fuel directly to reduce prices charged at the pump. Uganda accuses Kenya of allocating fuel meant for Uganda to Kenyan farms hence driving the prices. And the debate goes on. Kenya dropped its open tender system and instead opted to using private oil suppliers to distribute oil on behalf of the government. Now, these are believed to have inflated the prices for Uganda. Alex Chita has more. President Yoweri Museven believes that a rise in the final prices at the pump was caused by Kenya acting as a middleman. Under a new arrangement, a company owned by the government of Uganda, the Uganda National Oil Company, UNOC, will directly import fuel products and supply the Ugandan market. The president and his cabinet believe this will enable adequate supply and hence reduction in prices. Ruth Nankabiwa is Uganda's Minister of Energy. Colleagues are aware of the system that we go through, the open tender system in Kenya, where at times Kenya chooses to allocate products destined to Uganda to their own local companies. So we want to come out of this. Using his ex formerly Twitter handle, Museven said Uganda was buying fuel from middlemen and dealers who had increased the prices by almost 59%. He said Uganda will now get fuel from refineries at a much lower price through the Uganda National Oil Company. But some experts do not agree with the move. Mike Mukula, who runs a fuel supply company in Uganda, believes the monopoly created is going to be bad for business. There will only be one supplier to UNOC, and that is Vitol. And oil marketing companies will buy from UNOC. This, in a way, is a shift, and it definitely creates a monopoly. And when you create a monopoly in the supply chain, what will happen is that we are entering a command economy. And if you don't amend and allow open market systems to play, then we are going to create a problem. 
Others say as much as the final prices may drop, Uganda has failed to eliminate corruption, which caused the collapse of many businesses the government was involved in. But MP Paul Omara is optimistic that the overall objective of reducing pump prices will be achieved. It would help us to bring in competition and the prices will even drop. The moment they hear that the government of Uganda is going to take action to import fuel, for them to sell, they will drop the prices. That is the only way we can help the country. Uganda discovered and decided to produce its own oil by the end of 2025. Fuel prices in Uganda range from 1 euro and 20 cents, and this is blamed on global factors, including the wars between Russia and Ukraine, and recently Israel and Palestine. Uganda is believed to import around 2.5 billion liters of petroleum annually at a cost of more than $2 billion. That was Alex Jita with that report. I mean, uh, this is a story I know, George, you've been uh, really looking at. I mean, what does this say about these two countries? You know, it's interesting, uh, Eddie, that uh, this is not the first time that we are witnessing such, uh, mm. you know, trade feuds between the two countries. They are neighboring countries and yeah. they depend on each other on, on uh, a number of, you know, trade agreements. Uh, but but uh, it's, it's more of, you know, a way of bargaining to say, yeah. like, we need uh, a deal for what we are paying for. So it's not necessarily that this deal is the better deal now uh not necessarily okay yeah <laughs> but just pulling one's uh, the other person's leg politics or politics as usual as some would say now let's talk about an ongoing legal battle in kenya it all got to do with the increasingly dire situation in haiti where gang violence threatens stability kenya's government wants to send about 1,000 police officers to bring peace and maintain law and order in haiti but the plan is being challenged, George. Yes, the High Court has issued orders preventing the Kenyan government from deploying its officers. That's despite a green light by the United Nations Security Council, that the UNSC. A lawsuit has been filed by members of the opposition and concerned citizens, and that is Kenyan citizens. Uh-huh. With the legal battle in full swing, Anru Wasike reports from Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The petitioners are challenging the legality of deploying Kenyan police officers to Haiti. They claim it lacks legal backing and could endanger the lives of a thousand police officers set to join the mission against Haiti's dangerous gangs. They also highlighted the point that the current constitution lacks provisions for deploying police officers outside Kenya. They emphasize that this issue is of significant public interest and raises concerns about the absence of public participation in the decision-making process. Kenyan Minister of Defense Adendwale is, however, optimistic of the role Kenya can play. Kenya has a very long uh, history of global peacekeeping. We were in Kosovo, we were in Namibia, we were everywhere. We are now in Somalia, we are in DRC, we have our officers in the Tigray monitoring and evaluation mechanism. The United States concurs that Kenya is the ideal leader for this mission, as affirmed by U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin during his recent visit to Kenya. And we intend to work with the United States Congress to provide up to $100 million in support. And we we urge others in the international community to follow Kenya's great example. However, not everyone is on the same page when it comes to Kenya's deployment of police officers to Haiti. Among the dissenting voices is Senator Moses Kajuang, who is associated with the opposition in Kenya. This Haiti mission is a misadventure. We are sending 
our boys and girls to be killed. They'll come back in caskets. And uh, I hope that the various committees of parliament will turn this down. But I also hope that the matter that has been filed in court by Ekru or court will be given the due consideration and that the courts will pronounce itself that this is an illegality. On the bustling streets of Nairobi, Kenyans are as divided as their government officials on the matter. I reached out to some of them to hear their diverse opinions on whether Kenya should send officers to Haiti or not. We need to deal with the security situation. So in my view, sending these soldiers is in the right step because you want to try and find out, can we create an environment that, number one, secures the country, secures the citizens. Once we get our thousand soldiers inside there and these other countries quickly contribute their troops, we'll create a buffer, kind of, a security force that will try and, number one, understand the terrain and systematically try and provide security. There are, there are countries much stronger than us who could have intervened first. Um, those criminal elements in Haiti, first of all, I think they don't need police. They need soldiers. So there you have it. A nation divided. The legal battle rages on. The core issue lies in striking the right balance between honoring international commitments and ensuring the safety and rights of those who will be part of the mission. Andrew Wasike with that report. And a lot of people have had their say on Facebook, George. Of course, it is a raging debate and we expected streams of comments. Mm -hmm. And Mamat Saudi Belde, you saying, well, Haiti needs urgent help to restore security and order in their country. And Africa must be ready to help. (laughs) I see. Wandile Zimvo says Kenya wants aid from World Bank. Nothing they can do. Ruto was also funded by, you claim, Americans, so it's payback time. So a lot lot of uh, theories creeping up from nowhere to justify (laughs) why this should be done or not. No, quite interesting. And uh, Potiphar Tembo says, I don't see anything wrong with President Ruto sending soldiers to Haiti. Yeah, then Nyaga Muryuki says, Dr. Ruto is God's chosen president. Let him work. Nyaga Muryoki sounds like a Kenyan name, Eddie. I'm not profiling, but uh, it just reminded like me. Uh, yeah. But anyway, your comment is appreciated, Nyaga. And we have Ambesu, you say, the West keep using us at all fronts. Hmm. There's, uh, this, this one, let's see if we can get to that. That's from Julie Kenya. Says, we know there's so much wrong in, in the head of uh, President Ruto, mm. not just sending Kenya police to Haiti, even the way he's handling this country. Tax burdening Kenyans, he's providing nothing as a solution to the current problems we have in Kenya. He looks clueless every time he's ascending new bills into law. So this gruntled citizen of Kenya... Clearly not seeing anything that President Ruto does benefiting him or her in any way. Keep those comments coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Thanks for staying with us. But if you just joined us, this is DW's Africa Link program with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And George Okachi. Our Facebook page, DW Africa, is airing this show live now. And if you are someone who likes engaging in topical conversations that matters to our continent, Africa, that is the place to be. That is right. A reminder of our top story. Uganda's President Museveni has defended his government's move to terminate fuel import deals 
with Kenya. Do share your thoughts with us on the page. Still to come on the show, we'll tell you how migrant smuggling networks work. A very pertinent issue there. Mm -hmm. And also to come, Eddie, as Germany Mals plans to grand, rather for grand deportation of undocumented migrants, we hear what some Nigerians think about the move. Concerning the Germany issue, bringing them back, is that the next thing to do or to register them there? For the fact that they went there and they misbehaved there does not mean that other people will go there and misbehave also. Okay, very interesting one. Let's get straight into it, George. More than 12,000 Nigerians who are staying illegally in Germany are among those targeted for large-scale deportation as Berlin intensifies actions against undocumented migrants. Now, President Bulatinubu has expressed openness to accepting the return of these migrants and plans are underway to expand migration centers in Nigeria. Yes, we will remember, Eddie, that this agreement was reached during the recent visit by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz to mm-hmm. Nigeria. But what are Nigerians in Abuja saying about this pressing topic of African migrants? Ben Shimang spoke to some of them. Numerous Nigerians are closely following the heated debate on migration, which has become a prominent issue in German politics. While Berlin is determined to adopt a stricter stance, particularly concerning the deportation of migrants whose asylum claims have been rejected, many Nigerians still aspire to travel abroad. Area 10 market in Nigeria's capital, Abuja, is a popular spot where people discuss such topical issues while going about their daily activities. Given the news that Germany is considering a large-scale deportation that will affect thousands of Nigerians, I asked some individuals if they would still be interested in joining abroad. Yes, I would love to go there. That is, if I see a better opportunity there. For the fact that they went there and they misbehaved there does not mean that other people will go there and misbehave also. If I have an opportunity to go legally, I will go and go for Green Island Pacture. That's better for me because the hardship is biting, seriously. Some people are going without purpose. So you need to have a purpose. What are you going there for? Concerning the Germany issue, bringing them back, is that the next thing to do or to register them there? Me, I would not like to leave Nigeria in the first place. Or if every Nigerian leaves Nigeria, who will now? Who are we going to be calling Nigerians? And what will we be calling Nigeria? We may not need to leave Nigeria. We may need to build Nigeria by Nigerians. The opinions of Nigerians on the migration topic are clearly varied. There are various reasons why individuals from Nigeria or any other country might choose to leave and travel to Germany. Judith Eby, a Nigerian lawyer, says many Nigerians primarily leave the country to seek better job prospects, higher wages, and improved living standards in Germany. So in this circumstance, I'll blame the Nigerian government for not performing its functions and policies. Chapter 2 of the Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria provides for social policies which enables the lives of citizens and makes it easier for them to live as citizens in Nigeria. Dr. Celestine Odogu, a sociology lecturer at the University of Abuja, strongly supports Berlin's intended move to repatriate Nigerians without the right to stay in Germany. It's actually unfortunate that Nigerians are there and they have nothing to do. But whatever the German authorities are asking for simply means that they're trying to protect their economy and their state. And it is what is right and normal for any ideal government to do because every government has what they call planning. 
they have planned for their population, and once you find illegal migrants in the community, they constitute nuisance. Olaf Scholz's government is under intense pressure from opposition parties, accusing it of failing to control immigration and stop illegal migration. Additionally, the German government facing significant budget cuts has proposed reducing funding for local governments to care for refugees and migrants. Nevertheless, Chancellor Scholz insists that the immigration of skilled Nigerian workers must be promoted. Ben Adam Shemang with that yeah. report. Yeah. Now, still getting deep into all this issue about migration, illegal migration, just so our listeners can note, around 90% of those sneaking across the EU's borders tend to migrant smugglers for help. So, how do they operate? And how much do migrants pay for the illegal journey, despite the risks involved? Now, Europol, the EU's law enforcement agency, estimates that 90% of those illegally crossing EU borders get assistance from migrant smugglers, either for the entire journey or part of it. Michael Oti explains more, including how African migrants tap into these smuggling networks. While most non-EU migrants migrate through legal channels, human smugglers continue to thrive. But how do these smugglers operate across the Mediterranean Sea? They act as local service providers for human movement, relying on networks that involve locals spreading the word in remote villages. African migrants utilize these networks through irregular migration routes, traveling through multiple countries and crossing borders using illegal means or hidden routes without proper documentation. Using fake documentation like forged passports or visas to enter Europe by exploiting security loopholes or corruption in immigration systems. Overstaying visas, another popular method to access a better life in Europe, means legally entering but staying without authorization. According to the World Migration Report, around 281 million people were international migrants in 2021, accounting for about 3.6% of the global population. Among those crossing the Mediterranean from North Africa are many families seeking better lives for their children. But not all migrants qualify for asylum, despite the right to seek asylum under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The asylum process typically begins after migrants reach the European Union, like after crossing the Mediterranean. Human smuggling thrives due to supply and demand dynamics. The route from North Africa to Europe's closest coast charges between 3 and 10,000 euros or up to $10,000, sometimes even more, as reported by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. However, Many migrants lack the funds and end up abused, exploited, or even forced into slavery to repay debts. Some work off their debts, while others take on all jobs in border towns to save up for the next part of their journey. TW's Michael O.T. with that explainer. Quite uh quite detailed to let us understand exactly what happens, especially when you talk about illegal migration. I mean, mm. they're, they're talking about smugglers, migrant smugglers, mm. which is all the routes they know mm-hmm. is danger. Yeah. 
right? Mm -hmm. It is definitely very dangerous for people. And it's so interesting to know that people can sometimes uh, fork out thousands of years. You know, it's a desperate move exactly. in one way or the other, Eddie. Look yeah. at it in, in, that, in, that, in that fashion. Exactly, yeah. for sure. That's, mm. I mean, it's only through desperation that you're going to basically put your life savings on the line mm -hmm. for such a, a dangerous trip. But also that just says a lot, and these are some of the comments also people are saying, that just says a lot mm -hmm. about people feel they have the money, yeah. they're going through the legal process mm -hmm. to go on tourism, visit different countries, but they're not getting the chance. Exactly. So for some, if you're not giving me the chance the legal way, then this is the way. But of course, we definitely will not encourage illegal migration in any way. Definitely. And that's why we want to talk about these in uh, comments coming yeah. as pertains to Nigerians uh, being uh, deported back. Yeah. About more than 12,000, I should yeah. say. Yeah. And Kwese Ibrahim, you're saying, let them stop stealing African resources and support their fake democracy and corrupt regimes in Africa. That is a, bit, a little bit harsh, I should say. Yeah. If not, Africans are going to continue going to Europe to enjoy their resources from where they are are taken interesting one there rico Damos says yeah go back to mother countries and bask the heat of your military coups mm -hmm. eddie uh my older brother yeah is not uh in the journalism line mm -hmm. but he's thought of asking me this question that when an african comes to europe he is called a migrant but when a european goes to africa they are called experts uh, would you mind explaining to my brother what's the difference you know, it's a very, very interesting uh, question. Um, but I think it's actually something we should look deeper into. I will call myself an expert. Enough said. <laughs> Africa Link. Sport. Indeed, we can't end the show without some dose of sports. And Eddie, one of our colleagues, and, and uh, Isaac Mugabe, uh, who is currently hosting this live Facebook show, often says that football has a way of telling its own stories. Mm -hmm. Equally, football holds uh, the capacity to bring joy even in the darkest moments, Eddie. And, and I'm sure you know where I'm headed by yeah, this. Uh, yeah. It's about Liverpool star Luis Diaz, mm -hmm. whose father is still being held hostage by rebels demanding security guarantees for his release. Yeah, well, despite his father still missing after being kidnapped by a guerrilla group in Colombia, Diaz made a return to Liverpool's team and managed to score a late equaliser in their Premier League soccer match against Luton last evening. I actually watched that game. I saw that equalising goal, fantastic goal, mm. and it meant a lot to him. For more on this, here's Bubajalu. The football world is in unison calling for the release of kidnapped father of Colombian footballer Luis Diaz. This comes as the National Liberation Army rebel group that is holding Diaz's father demanded security guarantees before his release. The group, according to local social media, says the ongoing military and police search will, in court, delay the release and increase the risk. Luis Manuel Diaz was kidnapped at gunpoint along with his wife in Barrancas, Colombia on 28 October. Despite waiting for news on his father, Diaz expressed a desire to be involved with the Reds for Sunday's Premier League game where he scored an equaliser. And as this unfolds, Bayer Leverkusen's coach Xabi Alonso has refrained from discussing his team's title chances despite guiding his side to the top of the Bundesliga table. Bayer has scored 30 goals in 10 games and currently holds a two-point lead over second-place Bayern Munich. 
Alonso acknowledges his strong performance but remains cautious, stating that he cannot discount Bayern Munich from the title contention. Stuttgart and Dortmund hold the second and fourth positions, respectively. Moving on to the UEFA Champions League, match day 4 of 6 will resume on Tuesday with 8 matches scheduled. Borussia Dortmund is set to host English side Newcastle, while Barcelona will play away in Shakhtar Donetsk in Tuesday's early evening kickoff. In athletics, Kenyans continue to celebrate Helen Obiri's victory in this year's New York City Marathon. Obiri finished in a time of 2 hours 27 minutes and 23 seconds, crossing the finish line 6 seconds ahead of Ethiopian runner Letesen Bet Gide. In the men's race, Ethiopian athlete Tamir Atola broke a 12-year-old course record to claim victory. The 2022 world champion completed the race in a time of 2 hours, 4 minutes and 58 seconds on Sunday. Buba Jalo, many thanks for that. Yeah, uh, really uh, up to date with what's been happening in the sports world. Mm-hmm. Um, this, some other story that has been making headlines, especially across social media, right? Also on our Facebook page, TW Africa. Mm-hmm. Cameroon's President Paul Bia today is marking 41 years in power. But it doesn't seem that there are any signs he will quit soon, right? Now, yeah, just I, I be, like the point that you've yeah. stressed on the word in power. Yes. Not 41, uh, 41 years old. No, no. Well, okay. He's, <laughs> he's 90 years old, right? And he's ruled Cameroon since 1982. Oh. And of course, you'd expect people to comment on this, George. Yeah, like Charles Odachi say, he may have uh, overstayed in power, but his departure won't bring peace, democracy, and rule of law if the Libyan and Sudanese scenarios taught us anything about the collapse of dictatorship. Okay. Temoma says, African mentality, thinking that in a country only one man is capable of bringing peace and stability. Americans change president every four years and there is still peace and stability. And uh, the Gimba, Roland, you say, for those four decades, he only served the interest of French and West. Well, his own people suffer in poverty and misery. Okay, thanks a lot for those comments coming through on our Facebook page, DW Africa. The show is ending, but the page is still there for you. And I, you be, oh, so, yeah, yeah okay. sure, sure. I go am Eddie Michael <laughs> And I am George Okachi. Many thanks for listening. DW Made for Minds.